This is the politics of everything, and I'm your host, Amber Danes. Welcome to the podcast where we want to discuss the politics of everything from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment to equality, and much more. Our guests are experts in their field or topic of choice, even if you've not yet heard their name. This is a bipartisan podcast. So while we love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate, by no means is this a one-sided forum for any one political view. So please listen up and enjoy the politics of everything. This is the politics of everything and I'm your host, Amber Danes. Our guest today is Ruth Deering, peaceful digital parenting expert, number one international best-selling author of How to Keep Your Children Safe Online and Put an End to Internet Addiction a topic which we all need to get to grips with as modern parents. Ruth is a public speaker, a black belt in karate, and a mother of two. She's really passionate about helping parents keep their children safe, healthy, and balanced online. And she joins us today to discuss the notion of the politics of peaceful digital parenting. Welcome, Ruth. Hey, Amber. Thanks so much for having me. Absolute pleasure. Well, let's dive in. What is peaceful digital parenting? To me, it sounds like an oxymoron. Yeah. <laughs> It's a good question. Uh, so to break it down, digital parenting uh, is just parenting in the digital age, so parenting uh, in terms of how your children use technology. Peaceful digital parenting is helping your children use technology in a way that they can gain the benefits from it without uh, suffering from the pitfalls because you find that uh, the pitfalls of technology generally create a not very peaceful life, not very not very peaceful home. Absolutely. Look, my children are young. They're only four and eight, but they even, even so, they know how to swipe on iPads and, you know, virtually buy things online. So, I mean, what's the norm for children these days in terms of screen time? I, I know years ago uh, it was sort of like one hour a day would be enough, but realistically, how is that even possible with, you know, I guess programming at school and everything being so digital? I mean, do these standards need to still stay so strict? I think, I think the standards are important. The standards and the norm are two very different things. So what's recommended, I mean, for kids under two years old or, or nothing recommended is zero technology, but the recommendations is not what's happening. So um, there would be very, very few kids uh, that I would be aware of that actually stick to those minimums. Um, I think in most ha- households, the actual usage is far higher than it should be. Um, but different children are different as well. And some children can handle more than others. Uh, I think that a lot of a lot of mums do, a lot of parents, uh, we do turn to te- technology quite quickly and our kids love using technology. Uh, so they will use it as much as they can and often it's up to us as to, you know, to draw the line of what's okay and what's not or how much, when, and when enough is enough. Yes. And I guess on that, is there is there standards that you've come up with? I mean, do you generally say nothing for under twos, couple of hours for older children in high school, who knows? I mean, do you, do you have something that you think generally works, knowing that every child is different? Yeah, yeah. I mean, generally, it, it's, it is nothing. I, I'm, I'm a very firm believer in nothing for two years old or under. Um, above that, an hour a day up until probably the age of four or five. Um, from then on, up to a couple of hours a day uh, is okay. Uh, it really shouldn't actually go over two hours a day. But I mean that it's not again. What, what's recommended is certainly not what's happening. I mean, on average, you know, kids are spending eight, six hours, eight hours a day online. Yeah, um, that's a lot. It is a lot. It's like a full work day almost. It's almost like what adults would do, perhaps if they had a desk job. That's it. And I mean, it's not just how 
much they're there. It's the times of day they're there and obviously what they're doing on there. Um, but, you know, the times of day makes a difference too. So as, as kids get older and become, you know, teenagers, it's more about uh, putting time aside when they're not online. So, you know, obvious times like, you know, dinner times, times where it's just inappropriate, close to bedtime, certainly during the night, um, you know, that becomes more important as, as kids get older. So what about techno tantrums? I've experienced them in my own household. I mean, are there long-term risks if we don't place limits? And I guess known limits that the kids are aware of when it comes to things like online gaming or even watching TV quite passively? What what do you think is is the solution there? Yeah, I think that I don't know about long-term impacts. I mean, I've had I had a child who became addicted to playing online games. He got he got quite into Pokemon in a big way. Yes, uh, we all know about that one. We had to get that one off the phone pretty quickly, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and these games are designed to be addictive and, and they, they tend to work quite well. Um, I don't think it's a long-term effect as such. If I mean, I think it's something that can be managed. I think that if, you know, I, mean, I know with my children, they, well, my son particularly, was online way too much and it was definitely having effects on him and he was having massive tantrums when it was time to get him off the games and even when he wasn't playing the games he was running through scenarios in his head and he was just completely obsessed wow um, that i mean that wouldn't be unfamiliar i suppose but when you hear it like that i mean it just sounds like it's taking kids away from i guess reality in a way it is and it, and it has a lot of effects i mean I, my, my son was affected quite badly socially by it because he i mean he'd walk to we walked to school together and we'd turn up there and, and his friends would say hi well, you know say hello to him and he just would ignore them and he wasn't trying to ignore them. I honestly don't think he was trying to be rude, but he just didn't hear them. Like he just wasn't there. He was so in his head and he was so playing these games in his mind. So he didn't even have to be actually using a device. Um, wow, yeah. that's incredible. And and um, I guess on that, I mean, I know you say you're not really aware of long-term risks. I have read that, um, you know, a couple of studies have shown that there are there is signs that generations of people online um, and probably more the teenager age you know that the frontal lobe is actually shrinking and they don't really have a lot of capacity for I guess concentration and you know that short-termism I guess is the risk yeah I think there are actually I probably didn't answer that very well there are long-term risks that what I'm saying is that I think that they can be stopped like I think if if someone uses uh is on their devices too much I think that if you stop them using their devices so much then you can minimize those risks if they continue on them that much, then yeah, sorry, yeah, there, there would be long-term risks for sure. Yeah, definitely okay. physical, mental, okay. emotional. Yeah, and I guess the social, which you touched on as well, which mm-hmm. is, is a big one. So mm-hmm. in your own experience, you have touched on perhaps the experience with your son about navigating parenting um, or guiding parents in a digitally obsessed wor- world. Mm-hmm. I know I read something recently that parents are struggling to switch off their smartphones themselves at mealtime. So we're not modelling great behaviour, a lot of people. So, you yeah. know, a lot of kids will say, mum, dad, get your attention, eye contact, all the things we say that we want from the kids. But the irony is they're saying, well, parents aren't doing it. So yeah. I guess it's it's got to work both ways. It, absolutely. And I think parents have so much more control than they realise and so much more. I mean, kids mimic their parents. And, I mean, we know that when kids are young, you know, when you have a conversation and you think your kids aren't listening and then two days later they repeat, they parrot back word for word what you just said two days ago. So kids definitely copy their parents and kids want their parents to spend less time online. They want our attention and they, they need that, they crave that. And when parents, are, and it is, it is often the parents that are spending so much time online and prioritizing their phones over their own kids. Um, 
that has a huge impact. And of course, kids are learning from that. So what do we expect? You know, we, we kind of, it, a lot of parents are thinking, you know, do what I say and don't do what I do. And, and that, it just doesn't work. It's just absolutely no I definitely agree I mean I'm very big on no no devices at meal times and I even know amongst adults you know we've got we've got a deal on with some friends that uh, whoever pulls their phone out first if we're out for a nice dinner has <laughs> to, to pick up the whole tab so there's you know we try and create those sorts of motivations but I I, I hear you on the, on the mimicking experience and um I guess it's really all up to all of us to be consistent on that. We'll kind of kind of go into this, I guess, some of the platforms. So the pull of social media is big. Mm. And, you know, in your experience, what do you think the right age is to allow kids to go on Facebook or Snapchat or Instagram? And Because those safety issues are completely challenging. It's, an, it's a first time for most of us to, to know how to, how to navigate that when you don't really know who your kids are talking to, what they're talking about. Are there any guidelines when it comes to social media? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, the minimum legal ages are, are generally 13, sometimes older, different platforms, um, but generally it's 13. Now, most kids really don't care about that and, you know, on some platforms the majority of users are underage and they don't think it's a big deal. The reason those minimum ages are there are because kids are not, they don't have the emotional intelligence to keep themselves safe on social media and, I mean, a lot of adults probably don't either. But certainly kids just, you know, they're going to say silly things. They're going to share things that they shouldn't be sharing. Things are going to ha- affect them. You know, they're going to stuff, well, they are, some of them stuffing up future career opportunities, um, doing some really silly things. I mean, you see posts. I've seen posts from 16-year-olds sharing what drugs they're going to sell at the party that night. Unbelievable. Wow. And they, ha- and they haven't sort of, I guess, had the experience to know what the consequences are yet of that. And they just have absolutely no yeah, they just have no clue what the effects of what they're actually doing. So 13 is the minimum age and, and that is there for a reason. In saying that, the problem is that so many kids that are younger want so badly to be on social media. I mean, you put yourself in a child's perspective. If you're 10 years old and your friends are all on, I won't say Facebook because they're not using Facebook these days, but let's say they're all on Snapchat um, and there's a lot of stuff happening on Snapchat and your child really wants to use it. And so they ask you, they say, hey, mom, hey, dad, you know, I really want to use Snapchat, all my friends are there, and you say, look, honey, you know, I understand you want to be there, but you're just a bit too young, you know, in a couple of years it won't be a problem. So your child goes, oh, okay, blah, 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 all right, fair enough. But what they're going to do, if they really want to be there, they're going to just get on there behind your back. Right, and how would they do that? Is it because they've got access to phones? Is that the thing? Yeah, I mean, it's not hard at all. I mean, kids are yeah. very, very tech savvy. Like I say, from a young age, you know, they're swiping screens before they're talking and they're pretty smart. There's so many ways around it. There's plenty of ways they can cover their tracks. You know, they can even use, they can even check in um, at school. They can use someone else's device. They can create a, a, you know, username, password, create an account, and you just have absolutely no idea they're there. And I think the problem there is that if they're on social media without you knowing, and in an awful lot of cases that is what's happening, then they can't come to you for help. Yes, of course. There's a bit of, you know, that then they have to admit they're on in the first place. And then they think they're going to get in trouble, so they just don't want to feel that, like they can't come, they can't get the help, but they desperately need that help. So then they're on there. I think the thing is that when, when kids ask for access to social media, it's really about finding out, well, how much do they want it? And if do they want it badly enough that effectively they're just going to get on there anyway? Um, in which case it may be worth giving them, setting them the rules up front um, and certainly helping them. Kids need guidance. They can't be on social media at a young age on their own. No, if, of course not. 
Of course not. And I guess that that comes down to access. And I think these days most people have more than one computer. So you might, you know, traditionally you might have had one one computer that's, you know, in the living area or in the study that all the family's using. But lots of kids have laptops for school now with internet access. And mm-hmm. I've seen, you know, eight or nine-year-olds with phones at school. So it's it's interesting. I think the access point might be something which we're giving to them, but we're not sort of educating them with it. And I suppose... I'm looking for some ideas on is it about parents, is it about teachers, is it about communities? How can we really keep up with what is really a fast-changing system? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's about everyone. It's, it's a team effort, certainly parents, teachers, kids, um, all working together. I think um, I believe it comes down to uh, communication and education and certainly parents uh, need to understand that there is a lot involved in keeping our kids safe and it is changing so fast so there's a lot that they need to know. Uh, and I think, you know, if, if you're going to allow your kids to use these devices, which they generally are, then giving them the tools they need to be safe is a part of that. Yes. And, you know, it's, it shouldn't really be viewed as a separate thing. If, and, you know, I mean, people say, oh, you know, I can't afford or I don't have the money to pay for other stuff. If you've got the money to pay for the devices, then you have the money, you have the responsibility that goes with that to keep your kids safe and teach them how to use them. No, so, I totally agree. And then do you think, I mean, in terms of a practical level, are there any obviously there's your, your book, which is a great resource, but are there other sort of practical programs that maybe involve both the students or the kids and parents so that it's a conversation that can be started? Because I think sometimes it's a tense conversation. Kids yeah. see it as you're taking away my social life or my freedom. So that often, if it comes from a parent, I think can shut down that conversation and that's where they might secretly go off and do things. Mm. Um, there are some really great resources out there. I've actually created one myself because I think there was a gap. I, I find, you know, I read so many articles and, and at the end of the article, you know, they always say it's really up to parents to keep their kids safe, but they don't tell parents how. And it's not an easy thing to do. So I've actually created uh, a course based around that. I actually have uh, a whole, it's a 10-week online training course and it, it guides parents step by step and breaks it all down into bite-sized chunks that are very easy to understand um, about all the aspects of how to keep kids safe online. So we cover things like uh, like privacy and like monitoring what they're doing and, and how to do that effectively because um, we understand kids are so tech savvy. If, if you try and spy on them behind their back, they'll just find a way around it effectively. Absolutely. <laughs> no, I agree. I mean, that's fantastic. And I guess, um, you know, it's about it's about just actually taking more control as well. I think sometimes as parents, you know, m- a lot of modern parents are clearly pressured, time poor, and there's always an argument I've heard from parents as a sort of excuse that, well, you know, all their future careers are going to be on tech. Um, you know, what, why, why wait? So I think, you know, it sounds like we need to step back a little bit. So in your mind, is it about less screen time or just being more engaged on how they use it? You definitely have to become more involved in what they're doing um, and have a lot more understanding of what's happening. And this, I mean, I don't, in my experience with my son and Pokemon, um, when he was into Pokemon in a huge way, he was everything he talked about was Pokemon. And for those listening who know what Pokemon is, it's actually quite complex. There's a lot of different characters, and they oh, it's like a different language. I know. I sort of so, struggle to keep up with it all. It's crazy different language. And while my son was was speaking what I call Pokemon language, and I was speaking in English language, um, we weren't talking the same language. And so what was happening was I. I, at that point in time, really wasn't interested. I couldn't care less about Pokemon. Um, and that was pretty obvious to my son. So he interpreted that as, well, I don't care about this thing that is the most important thing in his world. 
Um, so that kind of came across as then, well, I don't really care about what he's doing and I don't, you know, don't, not really that fussed about him is, is the way he was interpreting it. Okay, that's interesting. So that's not how, yeah, we're seeing it as well. That's not that important to me, but they're taking this much more personally. Mm, and so one of the huge breakthroughs that I had was going, well, hang on, if it's quite clear to him that I don't care about his world or what's going on for him, then why should he care about anything that I have to say? Um, so one of the huge things that I had was, well, I have to actually get involved and I'm going to have to grip my teeth and force myself to understand, well, what is this Pokemon? What is this language? And, you know, what exactly is he doing? And, and you know, there are some positives out of it. There's some certainly not positives out of it. But, you know, I had to understand, well, well what's he doing and actually take an interest. And, and it's only through doing that that you can start really breaking down these barriers, these language barriers, and actually helping you know, help helping our kids through what they're doing. And it's very hard to keep them safe online if we don't have a clue what they're doing there. I totally agree. We also have to keep up, up to date. Mm-hmm. And I guess as te- as kids get older, um, one of the things that seems to be a bit of an epidemic at the moment is with teenagers, the online bullying on the rise. So once upon a time, I remember, you know, some 25 years ago, I come home from school and the bullying would end at the door. So even if someone had said something or been a certain way to you, um, you know, you go home and you'd be safe. So we're not there now. We, we basically, it's carrying on. It's going on, like you say, on the devices. Um, mm. People have them in their bedrooms. We don't really always know what they're doing. What can, I guess, the schools, the kids and the parents do to try and combat this? Mm. It's not, I, I don't think uh, bullying is really, well, it is a teen thing, but it's not just a teen thing. It actually starts much younger. I, I did a talk at a school uh, a little while ago and it was at primary school. So the oldest kids were in year six or 12 years old. And I asked them to put up their hands who had a mobile phone. And I was stunned that well, I reckon 90, 95% put up their phone, put up their hands. Um, and then I said, you know, leave your hand up if you're using social media. And I didn't see any hands go down. And then I said, leave your hand up if you've seen some sort of cyber bullying. And again, I didn't see any hands go down. So this is starting really, really young. And it's a cultural thing. I think, you know, behind a screen, people, kids are not getting that empathy This is a real cultural thing. They're not understanding that there's someone on the other side of this. And that person might be reading messages and, you know, going home and just bawling their eyes out. And they don't have, you know, then that person might be getting really depressed. Maybe they're, you know, wanting wanting to hurt themselves or do these horrible things. And they just don't understand the impact of what they're doing. One of the uh, principal I spoke to also recently had came up with a fantastic idea. And she said she got hold of one of the people that was, was bullying, was saying nasty things to someone else. And she forced that person, she forced the child to go up to the other child and actually say face-to-face what they'd said online, what they'd written. And that child couldn't do it. They just broke down and burst into tears and they just couldn't do it. Right. So it's not dissimilar to, I guess, you know, we've all been in workplaces where perhaps something one writes a, um, you know, slightly tardy or offensive email, but they didn't bring it up with you in the meeting or, you know, that's that kind of idea that online is a different world for some people. It's very cowardly and, and people are much meaner. People say much nastier things. I mean, to say, you see all these messages with kids saying to other people, you know, to other kids, you know, the world would be a better place without you and why don't you just go go kill yourself? I mean, I don't wow. know that you'd walk up to someone and say that. Well, hopefully you wouldn't, <laughs> but I, I, I really feel like it is a dark world and, um, like you say, like you've gone into schools and, and seen the reality of how young these, these kids are who are experiencing it. So any sort of maybe two or three tips for, for parents who might be experiencing for um, this yeah. with children? You've got to know that it's happening. And the large part of the problem is that a lot of kids don't tell their parents that it's happening. 
And the reason they don't tell the parents is because they don't think the parents will deal with it properly in a good way. They think the parents will make it worse. Um, largely, they think the parents will take away the technology. They'll take away the phone or wherever it is that the, the child is being bullied. Well, that would be one solution, I guess. But do you not advocate for that? Um, no, I actually don't. Uh, I think that kids are going to be using technology and it's not about taking it away from them. It's about teaching them to be resilient there. Uh, and I think that the answer for parents, they, they need to be approachable. They need, and most parents or most kids don't feel like they can approach their parents if they're in trouble. So I think the number one thing for parents is to make it very, very clear that if, you know, their child is in trouble, if, if they see any bullying or if, they, if they're the victim of cyberbullying, um, then they can come to that parent and they won't get in trouble for it and their device won't be removed because they tell the parent about it. And that is going to make it make the child far more likely to, to come to them for help. And that's step one. I mean, you can't help someone if you don't know they're in trouble. Absolutely. No, I think that's great practical advice. With your background, how did you get into this field? I mean, obviously you found a bit of a niche, but what's what's your experience prior to perhaps, um, you know, becoming an advocate for keeping children safe online? Mm, it, it started with my son's addiction <laughs> um, because we went through, we actually went through a horrible experience. It got really, really bad. And we got to the point where um, where I was walking to school with him one day and I just wanted to, to chat and have a conversation and I couldn't even talk to him anymore. So I started, I tried to start conversations and he just completely ignored me and made these sound effects and he was having this battle, Pokemon battle in his head. Um, and this one day I just completely cracked it uh, and I just absolutely started yelling and screaming and just lost the plot with my son, as you do, and then I just burst into tears. Uh, and I, it was just one of these moments where I just pretty much hit rock bottom. And, and I think so often as, as human beings we have to hit that point before we actually take action and do something about it. So uh, at that point, I it, I realised I well I just wasn't willing to keep going as I was. I mean, my son was six years old at the time, so wow. it's not. Like, and that's young, you know, and that's young. little, and you feel you, you know they're still in some ways so yeah. vulnerable, and you know you, you have big responsibilities. So from yeah. that, how did you actually know how to write the book and and put it put the program together? Yeah, well, so he needed help, so I I uh, researched a lot. I googled a lot of information. I put actually a lot of that research into the book. And it occurred to me, I, I'm a very strong believer, I think things happen for a reason. So uh, in my instance, I thought, well, the reason um, this happened and we went through this whole addiction thing is so that I could find a way through it, which I did. I mean, now um, my kids do play online. They do. They are online, but they are in a position where if they're in perfect balance. They play a little bit and they enjoy the benefits. They don't suffer from the pitfalls. And so that's something that I can now share with people. But uh, it occurred to me that, you know, online internet addiction is only one. It's only one of the pitfalls. I mean, you've got so many others you know, with cyberbullying and with monitoring what they're doing and sexting is huge and all this stuff that's happening, um, predators. So I actually then researched the, all the information that I could find from experts all over the place. Um, and there are fantastic people online. There's, it's a minefield online when you look at when you look for help. It's almost ironic you're going online to find out how to deal with yeah. the world online. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly, use technology to help. But, I mean, one of the things that, I, that we, I'd done too is we, I got my son through his internet addiction without using technology. We, d- we don't use any apps to limit his time or anything like that. Yes. Um, and it, it's all, I'm very firm believer, it's, it's mentoring. It's all about communication rather than doing the whole big brother thing. Um, so, so I learned a lot through the experience and I thought, well, I can share what I've learned and then I can find out what, you know, I can sort through all the stuff that's online. There's a lot of repetition, there's a lot of stuff that's not overly useful and it takes hours and hours and hours. Um, 
But I spent that time. I thought, well, I'm going to get the best I can from all the the best people that there are. There are experts on social media and there are experts on privacy and there are experts on monitoring and all this sort of stuff. So I'm going to gather it all together and present it in a way to parents that will save them time, that will give them all the information they need in the least possible time and make it really, really easy for them to find out what they need to do, what they need to know uh, to keep their kids safe. So that's, I think, where um, the book has come from a lot of research, a mixture of personal experience and my own stories, but a lot of research online and my course also. Yes. Uh, from the well, that sounds two diff- terrific ways to kind of, you know, get our head around what we need to do as carers and parents. Mm. Do you have any mentors or inspirational figures that sort of helped you over your, I guess, recent experience or, you know, prior to that? You know, we always, we're always a sum of everything that's happened to us and I guess we always look to others to guide us. Do you have any people or, you know, I guess figures that kind of have spoken to you? Mm. Um, there's some people... There's a guy called Josh Oakes uh, in terms of social media. Um, he's an American guy. He has a, His company is Safe Smart Social. Um, he's brilliant when it comes to social media. He's really, really, really good guy. Completely switched on. He reviews lots of apps and things that are going on. Um, he's, yeah, really, really good person. Quite, I look after him a lot. Yeah. Um, there's a few others. There's Deborah uh, Heitner. She's quite into, she's also in the States. She's quite into this whole concept of mentoring over monitoring. Um, That's interesting. I like that idea. That sounds, it sounds like something where you're almost working more in partnership with mm. your children rather than, like you say, kind of being the big brother that comes in and takes it all away and, yeah. you know, closes down the conversation, yeah. I suppose. I think that, that's, you hit on a huge key there because it is partnership. It's not, and we get into this us and them mentality with our kids. And I know, you know, I was, we do it a lot with, with monitoring software. It's a typical thing where we go us and them, well, I'm going to I'm gonna put this on there so you can't see this. And then the child goes, well, I'm going to get around that because um, it's probably generally not that hard to do. And so then mum and dad go, well, I'm going to find some, some other way. Or, and we sort of start fighting with our kids and we don't realise we're on the same side. You know, we've, we've got the same goal. We, we want our kids to be safe. Our kids probably want to be safe and happy. So why are we fighting each other? We need to be, it's, it's a partnership. It's a partnership between parents and kids and teachers. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, all working together, of course, we can get a better result than, than not. <laughs> That's some very positive advice there. To wrap up, it'd be great just to close off by sharing, I guess, um, a kind of a final takeout or manifesto about just some steps, some practical tips for you know, carers and parents listening today or even the kids that might be with them about what are the politics of peaceful digital parenting really all about? Oh, that's a big question. Uh, I guess uh, just some, just some. If you're going to give people sort of top, you know, three or four things that they could be doing today to get this, mm-hmm. to get this as a partnership, to get this where it needs to be, so that you know, kids are safe and kids are happy and families are happy too. I think definitely communicating, definitely having quality time. I think a lot of parents, we just, we are really busy, and we don't spend enough quality time with our kids. And when you start spending one-on-one quality time with them then you start hearing about things that are going on and I think that's a key I mean I I, I certainly prioritize that and if you can just you know it doesn't even have to be that long it might be 10-15 minutes where you just chat to your child you're one-on-one with them and you give them a hundred percent undivided attention because normally when you know our kids are talking and we're sort of like yeah blah blah blah, we're cooking dinner or we're doing the washing or we're doing something else at the same time Um, but when you actually fully listen to your child it'd be amazing how much you find out and just from that, just from listening, you can learn a lot about what's going on. You can start 
raising these conversations. You know, you can have uh, dinner. Dinner time is a great time to raise conversations. Often we'll say, you know, we're at the dinner table, let's, there's certainly no phones around, but we'll say, let, let's talk about, you know, good thing and bad thing and funny thing that happened in your day today. Yes. And just having conversations, I guess the conversations even about things other than technology exactly. help. It, it's just it's just opening up the lines of communication as much as humanly possible and having these conversations uh, regularly. I mean, I think to parents, probably we, we stop short a bit. Like a, a lot of parents, you know, we say to our kids, for example, you know, don't talk to strangers online. And then, and then we think, well, our kids are responsible and I've told them not to talk to strangers online, so they won't. And I think we don't understand, well, that's not, that's not quite going far enough. I mean, from your child's perspective, they might say, well, this person isn't a stranger because I've spoken to them a few times online now, so now I know who they are. Yes, well, yeah, exactly. There's a, yeah, a piece of education there as well and they're lot, still kids, aren't yeah. they, at the end of the day? A lot, a lot of education, a lot of communication. I think definitely yeah. they're, the two, they're the two key words to keep kids safe without a doubt. Well, thank you so much, Ruth. That's been um, an amazing uh, half-hour journey into what peaceful digital parenting can be. If you are interested to connect with Ruth, I'll have some details of her website on my show notes, but you've been listening to The Politics of Everything. And until next time, keep safe, keep well. Thanks for listening today. If you've enjoyed The Politics of Everything, we thrive on feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network and your friends and family. I'm also always on the hunt for fabulous new guests. So if you've got a view to share and an idea how to get our listeners excited, please email me at amber at bespoke comms, that's B-E-S-P-O-K-E-C-O-M-M-S dot com dot A-U and we'll be sure to get back to you. Until next time.